Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Questions You Most Want Answered. I'm Michael Sidwick, joined by Andy Murray to do precisely that. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We answer your questions. We preview and review Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Rampage, pay-per-views, premium live events. We often have wrestler interviews. We conduct roundtable discussions and host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. We do this on an ad hoc basis because we very, very much um, value and appreciate your Twitter engagement. And frankly, we get a lot of questions that aren't necessarily meant to be answered on a podcast just because people are interested in our thoughts and we really appreciate them, but we don't really have enough time in our personal lives to address every single one we get. Not that we don't appreciate every single one we get. So every now and then we decide to do it via this vehicle. So let's crack straight on. Murray, how are you feeling? Real good, man. Real good. Yeah. Uh, ready to crush it in beast mode. Jesus. Team, why did I ask? Team podcast. Crush you it. You sound a little bit more disingenuous, man. <laughs> this is your idea. Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. It doesn't sound like it. Let's get into the uh, the swing of things. This one comes from Ewan Hannon. And uh, just a brief explanation of why certain pick, uh, questions were picked. One, I want to answer them. Two, I'm trying to um, pick ones where we kind of get them regularly. Um, so a lot of people will be serviced by the answers. This one comes from Ewan Hannon. And again, uh, we've had quite a few um, of this ilk. So let's get straight to it. Ewan asks, do you think AEW should make Double or Nothing feel more like WrestleMania? Mm. Now, I get the idea. You want an AEW pay-per-view um, to have as much buzz and discourse as WrestleMania generated this year. You want it to take place in a ridiculously big, gigantic stadium so that the most people possible can react to the most white-hot wrestling on the planet. Um, so I do understand this, but ultimately, my take on this is no one really asked this question three weeks before WrestleMania, nor do I really think people will be bothered about this three weeks after. It feels like something that's really hit the wrestling zeitgeist this year, WrestleMania, way more than last year. It just feels bigger again. So I do understand where this is coming from, but I would like it if they had like a flagship. But I also like how AW special in that sometimes dynamites can be mid. A mid seven, but still mid. I can't think of a single AEW pay-per-view where the build was lacking across the board or there's just no buzz about it or I felt like, oh, uh, you know, half the card looks all right and the rest of the matches should be good. But, you know, it's okay. I'm fairly certain. And some have been better than other. 
I'm fairly certain that the week of every single AEW pay-per-view, I've just had this feeling where I can't wait for it to, to come around, where I'm hyped um, for the matches. That hype has been orchestrated, particularly in the last three weeks of the build, to a point where it feels like if I miss this match, which I won't, but you know, I'll feel like I have completely missed out. They make the matches feel enormous. So this happens four times a year in AEW, whereas realistically in WWE it happens once, except it's in a stadium, so it looks a bit prettier. Yeah, Am I off yeah. base on this? Or No, I don't think so. I think um, the buzz coming out of WrestleMania, night one in particular, which was the stronger show, I don't think many people would argue that, um, is, is far above what it has been in recent years. And it's tough to measure that as a metric, but uh, if you look at things like Google engagement was way up, Look at the raw rating, the highest it's been in a year, uh, which is no small feat. It was over 2 million, which is great by modern standards, um, certainly for raw. Um, I, I understand why it appeals. Specifically, I like I kind of like Double or Nothing as the annual trip to Vegas, like broadly casino-themed. I think that's kind of cool. Um, so if I, if I was to pick one from the pay-per-view lineup and say, hey, let's WrestleMania, that would probably be all out. Just like enjoying the symbolism of All In being the first cataclysmic event that that's not the word but you know what i mean that led to all of this um that would be quite nice but on the whole i think the thing with creating a wrestlemania size event is one it's very difficult um is it's like it's only really over the past decade or so that wwe have just gone stadium 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 constantly it's not the way it's always been it took them to a level it took them a long time to get to the level that they were comfortable doing that every single year and obviously things like wrestlemania 3 whatever whatever um I, the steps to get there are extremely difficult, uh, and some of them are out with AEW's control. Um, comes down to a lot of business stuff, like, you know, are they going to get on a better TV network for their next deal, put more eyes on the product? But also, with the idea that you're always building to one massive show every year, and I think, like, the WrestleMania was really good this year, really good. Um, it does compromise your booking somewhat, because you're when you can see exactly where... The biggest storylines are going to come to a head, and you would need to do that in a stadium to sell more tickets and all of that. Uh, it creates a sense of, well, maybe these other shows this year aren't that important. So the build to it isn't going to be as important, and all the storylines are going to be concentrated in one area, um, which isn't something that AEW have done. So I'm not totally against the idea of this mad star attraction show. They would just need to be very careful. Um it'll be an extremely difficult goal to accomplish. I think they, what they would need to do is capture, simultaneously, they would need to capture the kind of buzz they had for Punk's debut, the kind of buzz they had for All Out when when we, we knew Danielson was showing up and Cole, perhaps. Uh, the buzz of Shaq, for example. They need to have all of that converging on one date, uh, which is extremely difficult to do. Um, whether or not they'd actually be able to do it, I don't know. I'm not dead against the idea but the current lineup of shows coupled with like you know weekly specials like uh like a uh, grand slam i think i think this is a a good layout for them at the moment discourse fluctuates by its very nature as well it's worth recalling that it wasn't too long ago during i think it must have been the lull between full gear and when revolution really started getting hot thankfully they've kind of sort of corrected that core mm. issue that's affected cycled um, throughout AEW's existence. But it really wasn't so long ago when it was so slow to transition from 
and the Full Gear Fallout into sort of what is really heating up for Revolution, that people, if anything, were saying AEW should do six to eight pay-per-views a year. Um, so to go from that discourse to oh, one massive event because WrestleMania was a success, that feels to me like in-the-moment thinking over the long term. Look, it's been three years at this point, given where AEW is at now, how hot it is, how great it's been this year. I think meeting in the middle with a four-pay-per-view model over the quarter is genuinely the perfect number, but that's just me. Feel free to disagree when we uh, post this bad boy to Twitter, and you can have a nice little sort of discussion in the comments. Right, next question comes from Robert Green. Two questions because I'm selfish. Okay, I'm selfish as well, so I'll let you off on this basis. <laughs> um, what is the one thing in WWE that you look at and think, if they keep doing that, they could really shake things up again? And what is the one thing that AEW does that gives you legit concern for how badly it could go for them long term? This might seem facetious. It isn't the first part of the question. What's the one thing, WWE, that you look at and think, if they keep doing that, they could really shake things up again? Basically evolve into a celebrity wrestling league. Evolve into yeah. a celebrity wrestling league. I know that kind of sort of ruins the, the, uh, the elusive prestige of WrestleMania if you do it all the time. But it's what they care about. It's what they're very good at. Legitimately, the one thing they can do amazingly well is book celebrities, find good contrasting dance partners for them on the roster, and lay out matches that really make sort of big, stupid, dumb, fun spectacles. And if that is facetious, what I'm getting at is I don't like sports entertainment in the way it was reimagined by Vince Russo in 1999 with the format of the impromptu matches and the invisible camera and all of that. I hate that version of sports entertainment, but I said for a long time that WWE's sort of embrace of the indie boom and even the CWC was great, but like all the times you got like the footprints on the main roster, it just felt so passionless and soulless. Like the, the Paul Heyman era of Monday Night Raw where he tried to make wrestling happen on that program with 45-minute gauntlets, that was rubbish. They clearly didn't care about it. That was infectious. You could feel it in the arenas, which became dead. Soulless, quote-unquote, good wrestling by WWE was really horrible in 2019. The celebrity thing, I'm not being facetious, be sports entertainment again, and they feel like in the wake of binning off black and gold NXT and how it was meant to inform the main roster, it feels like they're trending in that direction. This WrestleMania, and in fact, this year of WWE TV is exponentially better than 2019. Like, oh, yeah. So yeah. much better. Um, so that's what I would like to see. Just be all sports entertainment, get big lads doing stupid things, and fun spectacles, fireworks and pyro. Like, do dumb fun, but make it actually fun. Yeah. Um, as for AEW, right, I'm, this is going to sound like a mark. There's nothing that they do that gives me legit concern for how badly it could go long term. If anything, the opposite true. They are s the opposite is true. They are so future focused for me. They are building like the Gun Club now. They are building like um, the Utahs when they haven't really finished elevating someone like Sammy Guevara as a main sort of event prospect. My only concern for AEW at this point, and I know the shows are not perfect. Some of them have got flaws, but I largely think they're great. My only concern is that if you look at this roster, CM Punk, Kenny Omega, FTR, Young Bucks, Miro, Hangman Page, Darby Allen, MJF, my only concern is that they are so future-focused that if things go awry and Tony Khan loses his book and magic, 
in about three years, and that's the natural lifespan of a great booker. I don't want to look back in five years and think they left so many matches on the table because it does feel like they do that too often at times. We talk a lot about how every match on certain Dynamites is predictable, and it's star versus emerging player. And that's fine, and it all makes the pay-per-views feel special when they do happen. But I just don't want to look back and think that they took so long trying to build the future that they kind of didn't do enough on FTR books two week, this seems like a ridiculous take to have at this specific week. But if you look beyond that, I just don't want to think that they lost the idea of doing a more star versus star model when they had this roster. Yeah, um, I think that's a very fair point as well. AEW, it's it's difficult to sometimes it's difficult to earnestly criticize AEW because there's a lot of bad faith stuff. Like it must be the most overanalyzed and over just picked apart company. Certainly, I can remember, and it doesn't help that social media is so heightened these days, but to that to that regard, I would say that there is a valid point that they, they bring people in, they make a hot start, they're around for three or four weeks, and then they go away, and they'll come back in every now and then, and you'll get flashes and stuff, but there's a lot of... I wouldn't say unfinished because making stars takes years and years and years. It's not a simple process of pushing a button and, oh, you're a star, you're drawing and all of that stuff. But the, there are a lot of people on the roster who have come in, been elevated, look like they're taking the first few steps, and then they've just kind of faded away for a while. There are stuttering stars, top down, really. I mean, he, Sammy Guevara is a good example. I, th- I mean, I think his current role is not complementary to his abilities, um, and it's not good <laughs> in a nutshell but there are other ones as well people like ricky starks he's had good focus in 2022 which is good and obviously he had the neck issue which which held him up but the roster is littered with people like this and it gets to the point where people like swerve have just come in and you wonder okay he's getting some nice focus on friday nights and rampage in the storyline but how long is that going to last before he has to take a month or so off tv and then there's and I, i'm loathe to use this word but there's no sense of momentum up the card and stuff like that things like that come into play but that's part of the growing pains of a young company yeah. who you know the aw roster has a lot of people on it and you should never be in a position where somebody you can make money with becomes available and you go, no, I don't want this person. That's just, that's not how it works. Like the cold business-like nature of pro wrestling is that when you can upgrade on on anything, including talent, unfortunately you do upgrade, um, which means that some people get shuffled off TV and other people come in and take their spot. Um, and AEW is kind of in a weird position right now because so much great talent has come onto the market over the past year or so um, with WWE being so trigger happy with releases that uh, I can't imagine that Tony Khan ever would have imagined Adam Cole or Brian Danielson becoming available. And I know these are different circumstances to releases, obviously, but they've had to snap these people up. But it has created these problems and it is something that needs to be addressed. I don't necessarily know if it's something that is is going to tank the company or anything like that. It's very difficult to make predictions like that because we're not privy to the finances. They are private. Um, but yeah, it's something that could hold them up for sure when when potential stars are maybe being left on the sideline a little bit too long. Um, WWE, what can they possibly do to ch- shake the game up? Um, it's a really tough question again because um, you could, to be a, a fanny and counter-argue, you could say they don't need to because they're failure-proof. They, they earn a billion dollars every year. They've never been more successful. But on the creative side, 
uh, and we've spoke about this in the office and on the content as well, uh, WrestleMania should be Bianca Belair's show going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, she's right there. And it's been obvious to a lot of people for a long, long time, but that she is just an absolute star. I think she she radiates like ability. Um, her act is spot on. And it's a common compliment, but she is... Leg- I don't think they've ever had a more athletic woman on the roster than Bianca Belair. The things that can, she can do in the ring are tremendous, and she has formed a ridiculously strong emotional connection with the audience. She's a fantastic babyface. Um, two years in a row at WrestleMania, for me, she has stolen the show. The Sasha Banks match was absolutely special. The Becky Lynch match was of a similar caliber. Uh, great stuff. It should be her show. Celebrity stuff, I completely agree. They need to do more of this. Logan Paul ruled hard. Pat McAfee is great. Uh, Johnny Knoxville was, I understand a lot of people didn't like it, but I don't care. I was a jackass kid growing up like yourself, Michael, and I thought it was a hoot. Do more of that. That would be the best answer. Second best, Bianca Belair, WrestleMania, and also uh, Sasha Banks should always be the focus of programming. She's a ratings draw every week. Every time she appears on, look at that quarter hour number when Brandon Thurston tweets out the little graph. Sasha Banks' name will be under one of the biggest increases. People care about her so much. It's obscene exactly that don't do enough with her and she's a cross-cultural star as well uh she has, she was good in the mandalorian she will get other opportunities of that ilk as well uh she's very charismatic again she's very likable in media in press in the public when she's out and about yeah do just do a lot with sasha banks it also helps that she's like minimum a top three wrestler in the company i know so there you go banks and bel-air that's what i'm saying we got loads and loads of questions about Cody, and uh, we are going to answer the first of them um, now. This is from Renz. Do you think that Cody's ROH New Japan AEW run was all in service to get back to WWE? Was it Cody first, the wrestling re- revolution second, or do you think it's a change that happened over time? My take on Cody is this. He is possibly the most impulsive guy of all time. I don't think he treated this sort of excursion as a way of building his brand to one day come back to WWE all the time. There are two reasons for this. Firstly, when he was burying WWE like with little digs on BTE and Dynamite and the like, he sh- struck upon things that were very specific complaints about how wrestling is produced that a lot of actual wrestling fans who don't really like sports entertainment agreed with. He's buried the invisible wall. He's buried things of that nature, to use an actual uh, bit of wordplay there. So he knows specifically why WWE is bad as a wrestling guy, because I think he's a wrestling guy and not just some guy who's always had aspirations to be WWE champion, and he's in the bubble, but he just broke it to get back in at a high level, if that makes any sense whatsoever. His specific takedowns of what was bad about WWE were telling to me. Mm. And moreover, all you have to do is listen to one of his promos. where he talks out of both sides of his mouth without <laughs> realizing that he's just such an impulsive moment-to-moment guy um, who's made, by his own admission, some regrettable statements and choices in his career. Like, you can tell, like, months after, in that moment, he feels what he feels at that point in time intensely. He probably intensely thought, I don't want to be confused to be like this carny creative guy who's also a wrestler. I I can't challenge for that title. I'm yeah. just going to take that off the table so that no one thinks of me like that. It means a lot to me. And then he's, reali- he's probably realized and say, oh, fuck. what did I do that for? Like, what on earth did I do that for? Um, he said things that has been a recent Twitter trend 
um, on Twitter recently where people are digging up old quotes of his, and this is fine, he's a wrestler, he works to one audience, depending on who that audience is, um, digging up quotes where he might be, this is going to be shocking to you, Murray, a wrestler might be a hypocrite. I just think he thinks these things intensely and then just moves on. Yeah. He's much like his dad. His dad is one of the most creative guys of all time, but his great ideas were as great as his terrible ideas were terrible. Cody's like his father's son. Yeah. Do you think it's really cynical what he does, or do you take a more understanding approach like myself, perhaps? No, I, I agree completely. Um, this is uh, the question here is probably the most elegant phrasing I've seen of this of this of this particular issue because a lot a lot of people when it comes to Cody just go straight for the throat. So I appreciate. Um, the wording of this because it shows an understanding that things are a little bit different to the two extreme sides of the perspective um yeah no i completely agree with you i think that cody rhodes believed every single word he said when he was saying he'd never go back to wwe and when he was burying them and when he was smashing the throne and all of that i think he was steadfast in his convictions and he felt he was never going back there earnestly from Which the heart got too many convictions yes <laughs> to the point where they're yes. not really convictions i think uh, people change over time people's priorities change the viewpoints change, and I think Cody's head sometimes must be like a washing machine. Uh, I, I, I like Cody a lot. I get a lot of value out of him. I have loved the chaotic news cycle that has surrounded him. I love all this stuff. It's been great for the content this year. Absolutely great sensational. For the numbers. Sensational stuff across the board. Um, and I understand why people use terms like hypocritical and, and, and betrayed is a common one when he goes back and, and stuff like that because people invest a lot of stuff into this, particularly the AEW movement, when people feel like they've been let down by mainstream wrestling for 20 years to have something to latch onto. It's very intense. It's very personal. Um, but at the same time, it's good to stay a little bit detached from all of that, which is why we get these heightened debates these days. Um, no, I don't think he was ever planning. When he left WWE and when he went to New Japan and Ring of Honor and when he ran all in and when he was responsible for the genesis of AEW and even like a, like last year or whatever when he entered his contract negotiations with Tony Khan, I don't think the idea of going back to WWE was there. Maybe it was somewhere in the background, oh, I can go back here and, and leverage myself into a better deal or whatever. Um, but I think if that, that thought did arise, it was a total afterthought. Um yeah, I, I I just think he's a guy whose priorities have changed, whose situation has changed, and we're not privy to the personal details of his conversations with Tony Khan and stuff. Um, who knows? Maybe maybe Cody did go in and go, "Hey, I want creative control back," and Tony went, "No." I once you've had something like that, as Cody did earlier on, and the there was the recalibration of the creative process in late 2019 as. Khan has spoken of many times. Um, once you've had something like that and had it taken away, it's very difficult to come back. So if you go back, you're in a negotiating position and you go, hey, I want that back. And the guy says, no, you're going to be hurt by it. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I think he's an emotional, impulsive guy. I completely agree with you on every single level. And uh, this was a great question and I'm glad we were able to approach this topic. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm, I can't pronounce the name. I'm so sorry. It's spelled A N. I-R-U-D-H. I'm so sorry. I don't want to butcher that. Like, I just do not want to butcher it. I'm very, very sorry. Um, oh, no, sorry. That was from Renz. The one that I can't butcher is coming up now. Morning, gents. What do you think Cody should be doing next in WWE? I personally want to see a Brian-like angle where management punishes him by putting him in mid-card matches, screwing him when he finally gets a title shot until he finally wins the title at WrestleMania 39 against all odds i don't see that happening personally i think that they 
might be tempted. Let's face it, they're yeah. a very petty institution. But I think any kind of creative direction, at least in a loose sense, will have been sort of pre-approved by Cody. He's not coming in as some mug. He's not coming in as some guy who is just delighted to get signed by the Fed. Like, the whole deal all along was if he was ever going to go back, if the circumstances changed, he was going to go back as a star, as we've just covered. And he did. And I just can't see them presenting him as an underdog. I understand that one week of generally flattering television where he appeared to be himself is a lot different to the years and years and years of precedent of spiteful trope-infested WWE booking. But um, I can't see them going that route. So the route I can see them going on is sooner rather than later mega match with Roman Reigns. This is a company that has its plans. They have one plan per year, and they plan next year on having The Rock work Roman Reigns. That's what's going to happen. That is the one match they give a toss about. I know we all care a lot about what Cody's doing right now. I don't think they have a single clue about what to do with Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania 39. I don't think they've got a clue about anything or a care in the world about it. They will consider Cody in that sort of Seth, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton section just below Roman who is well below the rock in terms of the thing they want the most. And um, Becky Lynch is in that sphere, and Charlotte Flair is as well. And I think they will do the Roma match sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, I think they will, and I think they should as well. Um, dependent on Roman's injury status, of course. Uh, we'll hear more from him on SmackDown. I think that promo on Raw was almost leaning into the idea that, you know, coming out of... WrestleMania, maybe he's injured. We saw the arm photos. No confirmation of this, of course, but I think they were playing off the anxiety surrounding that a little bit. So we'll see what comes of that. But yes, I I think you should not wait around to make your money with Cody Rhodes. Let's do it right now. Let's go. I'm going to use a cliche. Uh, well, I hate myself. Strike while the iron is hot. Um, he is buzzing now. He's popping. He, the promo on Raw was extremely well received. Uh, the match was great at WrestleMania. Um it was AEW's Cody as well. It wasn't the WWE version with the mustache and the other dumb stuff attached to it. Um, let's go. Why wait around? Why wait around? Um, I'm not so much into management storylines personally. No. Um, maybe that would resonate with with with, with some folks, uh, not myself personally. But um, I would start off by running him against some really good wrestlers he can have really good matches with and, and take it from there. But yes, I would have him stepping up to Roman Reigns sooner rather than later. Uh, and I would absolutely use this opportunity. WWE have not done, objectively, not done a good job of building potential baby faces who could dethrone Roman Reigns. Well, one's just landed on their lap. Alternatively, turn Roman Reigns baby face. Everyone loves him. Why not? He's good at getting jeered. Don't get me wrong, but everyone loves him. Uh, and turn Cody into like an interloper. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I... Genuinely, you know, I watched that Raw after WrestleMania and I heard his reaction. And yes, the, the fans are going to be tired after a long WrestleMania weekend. I think that, well, we'll get to this question later. We will get to Let's a question. A very quick one here because it's a fun question more than an in depth one, but it's a very fun one nonetheless from Jessica Jack. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Hey, Legends, genuine question. At the end of last night's NXT, WTF. <laughs> Why? The, the ending of uh, last night's NXT, I'll just be very quick on this, just felt to me like um, a little bit mean-spirited. You know that <laughs> meme of, oh, that's nice, something you got there, be a shame if. Yeah. Oh, you finally wanted um, Bron Breaker to be acknowledged as uh, Rick Steiner's uh, son. Be a shame if we then sort of made him look like some old man tit <laughs> who's susceptible <laughs> to getting kidnapped by some guy who purely exists for Bruce Pritchard to have a rant yeah. about political views. Look, this was their... They've had the Ziggler thing. They know that NXT 2.0 is a ratings disaster if they don't do things that aren't NXT 2.0, which is basically sex, green guys getting carried by indie guys who aren't really megastars. The Ziggler thing's happened. I think they'll cool off on the main roster um, sojourns, um, excursions, if you like. Um so it means something again because Ziggler's thing meant very little, but it meant more than usual. Yeah, I think this is just a, 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 sh- a gimmicky shock value tactic to get people talking about the show. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's very try hard this kind of stuff where you. Uh, it's exactly that. It's a shock jock tactic. It's look how outrageous this is. They've kidnapped an old man and they're insinuating that they're going to torture him into joining their cult. It's it's just shallow surface level drivel to be quite honest uh and yeah you're dead right shock value look at this image look how shocking this is pay attention it's not organic it's not natural it's it's try hard it's an interesting question coming up from uh rohit kumar he asks what do you think about the booking of adam cole and the undisputed era in aaw this is going to piss off a lot of fans of the quote-unquote black and gold, but here is my take on things. And I would like to emphasize that this is my take, 
every arena in North America, it feels like, adores Adam Cole. He's very much over. I think there are two issues, right? One is that AEW is the place where a underutilized, like, ridiculously talented guy that WWE never really marketed effectively reinvents themselves, shows them what they're missing, is exponentially cooler than they ever were in WWE, and it's kind of like a really cool thing for an AEW fan to like throw in a WWE fan's face or whatever. What we have here is the opposite of that. An act pretty much preserved as was in the WWE system, transposed into the AEW context. Now, look, Undisputed Era were involved in several classic matches. Some would say that Cole Gargano is one of the very best matches they've ever promoted at TakeOver New York. Some of the tag matches involving the other three guys in the group were outstanding. I'm not saying that they were bad in any way, shape, or form. Give me a great Undisputed Era promo off the top of your head right now when they were at their peak. Nothing on the level of Kingston, Cody's, Jericho's, whoever's best work in AEW. Give me the best heat angle they ever did. Limited. I'm thinking that AEW, as it exists now, for the best of its three years so far, is kind of better than NXT ever was. And when you put one act from one context to the other, it kind of shines a light on how much better AEW has been. Frankly, that is my take on it. There's a difference. Undisputed Era were all over the show, and it's way more of a sort of supergroup, if you like, AEW. Yeah. So that doesn't help them feeling not as important as they were in NXT. Look at the time allocation. Look at how they were emphasized and like the top of the hours and opening and closing segments and what have you. But basically, TLDR, AEW bear. <laughs> Was the question specifically... Um, about the booking. Okay, of Adam Cole in AEW versus WWE or just... Just what do you think about the booking of Adam okay, Cole okay. and the Undisputed Era? Yeah, I think the booming arenas that greet this guy whenever he come out speak to the... I mean, the, they're, it's been good. It's been, like, objectively, if you are coming into the arena and your reactions are as hot as they were and this guy's are like the surface of the sun as they were in day one, that's good. You've sustained him. He's still over. Um, in fact, Adam Cole's reactions could scarcely get louder. Um, and he knows what he's doing as well with the booms and the, the pointing and the Adam Cole baby. He's a excellent, excellent showman. And that... I don't necessarily like a lot of what has happened on TV is, uh, it's fine. It's a minority opinion. Um, there are elements that I wish they hadn't done with the guy. I wish they hadn't wrapped the Orange Cassidy feud before going for the title. It's a lights out match. It doesn't count on the record, but we still have the vision of somebody. He's still lost. Yes, he's still lost. You still have the visual of the person who's going to be challenging your top champion getting pinned. I wish he hadn't just been thrust back into this feud now, which is continuing after the pay-per-view, uh, when he lost at the pay-per-view. Uh, it kind of goes against what I like, a lot of what I like about the booking at the top of the card in AEW and the idea that you have to earn and graft your way. CM Punk is only just now entering that conversation, for example. So things like that haven't been ideal, um, I don't think. Um, you know, stuff like, 
and the, this speaks to your point as well. Things like stealing the belts, very Stamfordian, <laughs> very, very, uh, very WWE uh, stuff that I'd rather not see. I think they have perhaps gone a little bit too far to the well in trying to present them as they were. Um, nothing, in my opinion, that a big face turn couldn't solve. Uh, I think Cole. Were, I'm not one of these people who doesn't think Cole, who thinks Cole shouldn't play to the crowd. I think as a heel, it, it's to his narcissism. Of course, yeah. he hears a building of people going Adam Cole, baby. He's gonna be like, oh, I've got a massive ego. Yeah, this rules. Uh, I, I'm not one of those folk, but he would be just even more over as a babyface. I think uh, people would love to cheer him. People would love to cheer him and Brit as well on the other side. Um, so yeah, like any complaints I have with his presentation so far, and I have a few are are uh, nullified, I think, by the fact that he's super over. Yes, absolutely. Next question comes from Phantom Neap, and he asks, do you think WWE fans will turn on Cody like the AEW fans? And my answer is very short. Yes, of course they will. <laughs> it takes a special performer to get a consistent reaction that will forever sort of cast them as a hero. This, if anything, underscores just how Awesome, John Moxley is as a babyface. They've never lost interest. They ride or die with John Moxley. It seems inconceivable that you will ever sort of be received as a heel or someone who just gets a bit boring. He's in someone like Kingston as well. It, these are rule proven exceptions. Like Hamman Page got booed by half the crowd at Revolution this year. I could scarcely believe that was going to happen. Obviously, Cody, if you think about how over he was in the build to full gear 29 years, thought, right, he's the next rookie steamboat. Yeah. Absolute forever face. He makes certain booking choices, um, certain promo choices, um, certain sort of ways that they carry themselves. Everyone's going to draw the ire of someone. Um, the precedent's there for... Uh, here's the thing. For now, he's the guy who left AEW in the dust to sort of paraphrase his old WWE nickname. But WWE fans love the idea that he's rejected them. And they love the idea of stars because that's what they grew up on. The second that gets a bit boring... Or a bit familiar. Nothing gets boring with Cody, but you know, a bit sort of people get used to him. He's got a certain promo style that quietly undoes him a bit um, with his big words, and sometimes he can be a little bit trite and earnest and open to mockery and ridicule. The more this happens, the more people will probably sort of identify him not as this guy who returned to WWE and wanted to all along, but you know, he's AW scum, isn't he? <laughs> yeah it's a good and point and they should absolutely lean into that when yeah. in fact they do turn on him because they will yeah for sure um yeah i mean it's inevitable really in wwe in particular and i don't think it's 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 a fault of the fans going oh they're impatient all of this stuff it's like nah man like crowd reactions are earned most most of the time uh, the vast majority of the time, people are reacting to what you are serving them, and it's up to you to serve them something that is worth not getting bored of, rather than the other way around. Um, I think that the reasons people soured on Cody Rhodes in AEW were things like going over people like a go-go, for example, and there are other examples as well of uh, matches... The, uh, things like, you know, shrugging off Penta's arm snap, bits and pieces like that, a culmination of those over the course of a year or so, uh, and then the really chaotic patterns of his final few months in the company. But yeah, it, it, crowd reactions will change. A lot of it will depend on the material he is given. Um, I know there's word going around emanating from Dave Meltzer on the Observer Radio yesterday that he got the deal he wanted. He'll have a degree of control, but 
We all know what that means in WWE if Big Papa Vince decides, mm, screw that. Well, screw that, and it's over. Um, so, yes, I, it all depends on the material and what he's doing, but it's probably going to happen, yeah. <laughs> and a sort of follow-on to that question, um, Oliver asks, whilst Cody's promos tend to be madness, they have always been <laughs> articulate with various nuanced language. Do you think he will need to... Um, alter his promo style for WWE eventually. Well, he's an avid reader, Michael. He's an avid learned. reader. An avid reader. Um, this is a really good question, actually, yeah, because he's very much different to, um, in a way, like, he's kind of not different to the WWE promo style because it's evolved weirdly over the, however, last time many years, where, like, the verbiage of, like, an Edge and a Seth Rollins and their sort of visionary benchmark rules is it's just as pretentious as Cody's. Yeah. So maybe not. Maybe you won't have to sort of <laughs> like dumb it down or sort of you know play it to the masses. It's all very exposition heavy in WWE. Um, and again, he's got the daily ones. He's got a degree of creative control. Is if he can generate these conversations, and trust me, we've had more questions across the news in this Q and A podcast on Cody than anyone else. If this continues, he draws buzz, um, engagement numbers. He can pretty much maintain the leverage to play this character which is Cody if nothing else so the longer he stays over the longer he can keep um, doing this he has a, a very easy but interesting enough WWE question favourite Undertaker Wrestlemania match asks Luke Walcott um, for me I like the punk one because mm. of the time that it happened I really liked the Shawn Michaels and Triple H matches but it was like enough the idea was about who can break the streak, who can break the streak. And the more minutes they're packed onto it, the more near falls they're packed onto it, um, false finishes, all the rest of it, the more it felt like, come on, no one's beating the streak yeah. and you are getting a little bit more desperate every year to ask that question. And CM Punk and true Roddy Piper form just decided to change the question. It wasn't about if CM Punk can beat the streak. It was, can The Undertaker get justice for this dickhead heel? And they worked an incredibly dramatic, wonderful heel performance from CM Punk that still had all these sort of epic story beats of the Undertaker match, but they just they just made it more babyface heel pro wrestling stuff, and I just thought it was really refreshing. Honorable mention: the Batista match was an awesome prize fight. Uh, Giant Gonzalez, not a wanker. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, I rewatched WrestleMania 26 in the wake of Edge versus AJ Styles because. They were clearly shooting for that kind of match. And uh, I, I I think it holds up as... Uh, is it my favourite? I don't know. It's certainly in the conversation. And that that's such a basic statement because it's it's this widely acclaimed thing. But it stands as just... A the last five years of NXT have ruined the prestige of that match. They have. They have. They have. Like the, It's a style that has been so dumbed down over the years. Um, but if you watch it, and you watched it live at the time, it's quite easy to take yourself back to how you felt in the moment. Yeah. I can understand why like younger fans who uh, who have gone back to it and watched it for the first time have gone, oh, they only did like seven moves. What's, what's going on here? Um, that would be up there. But for me, like... Just personally, the Triple H match at WrestleMania 17, where they just brawl all over the arena, brawl up this camera stack, um, speaks to my sensibilities as a wrestling fan. Uh, it's not exactly a golden era of Undertaker matches, but that was insanely fun on one of the most, well, the most iconic WrestleMania of all time. It doesn't help that it's surrounded by things like Austin versus The Rock, which I think is a better match, um, even with the, 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 the 
cursed visual of Vincent and Stone Cold at the end of the night. But yeah, I, I'm going for a hipster pick. I'm sorry, I'm going for Triple H and, and, and The Undertaker at 17. Cool. We've got three more questions, so let's rattle through them quite quickly. Uh, no. This one comes from S. Reed. What do you think AEW need to do to get to that next step? And he illustrates his point further, as in attracting, say, a 30 to 40k audience for a pay-per-view. Um, I'm assuming he means a gate and not um, amount of buys because they've cleared that every single time. For me, it's just picking the market. Yes. If you look at Revolution, they've killed the town of Florida to the point where even like a small arena by their pay-per-view standards like didn't sell out immediately. And I think that was just, I don't know what, I think it's just, the, again, it's another application of the long, 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 long-term game they're playing. They haven't hit the West Coast, obviously the pandemic had a lot to do with this, but... They are preserving their elusive, we're not here all the time, guys, sort of vibe in certain markets and absolutely killing other ones where they can always get a modest gate that looks nice enough on telly. They've killed Texas. Well, they haven't killed Texas. They've done Texas a lot. They've done Florida a lot. But I think they are treating this as we can have these little home bases wherein we know we're going to draw something that looks big time on TV every single time. So let's preserve certain markets and not sort of do everywhere and get a diminishing return every single time. For me, like, they've done a dynamite with no announced matches months in advance in the West Coast, and they've sold out, what, the Inglewood uh, date? It was like a five-figure attendance already. Yeah, yeah. If they just slapped all out on there yeah. and put it in, like, a small stadium... I'm sure they could get 30k for a pay per view. Yeah. In the UK, yeah. they are. I reckon I would be amazed if they didn't run a Craven Cottage and B sell the whole thing out. Yeah. I just think it's the market they could get. They, they, the first time they ran um, New York, they got what twenty two thousand in for New York, and that was yeah. for a dynamite. Very and quick it, as well. The ticket sales on that. Yeah, and if you look at the way that the pay per view buys are going, and the just the sheer magic and prestige and acclaim of the last three pay-per-views they've become something even more big than they were in their first two years of the company's existence i just think it's a case of picking the market personally yeah i totally agree i mean the shortcut answer is go to canada or the uk and they could do it instantly yeah. um but yes you know you're absolutely right they couldn't run one of these in the carolinas for example where they've just been um or florida like you mentioned um Northeast has proven a very happy hunting ground for them. That's another candidate as well as the West Coast. But yes, it's, it's controlling the market as well, isn't it? Because you don't want to burn. Obviously, they're doing their first West Coast shows coming up. Um, they, they might actually be wise to hold off on doing a full-on tour of the West Coast because people will then theoretically be so hungry for wrestling that if they book a 30, 40,000-seater stadium, people will go to it. Um, with regards to being able to hit these things on the long term, because the first one's obviously going to be special. Like, Grand Slam was special. Um, their first proper pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, was special. Uh, it's very difficult to replicate these things long term. But to, to do that over a consistent basis, it's a, it's a bunch of different things, isn't it? It's getting a better TV deal. Uh, the current TV deal is great. Uh, monetarily, they are underpaid for sure. But if they were to end up on network rather than cable, that's obviously going to put a lot more eyes on the product and, and all of the stuff that comes with that. Um, you've had 
the pops of bringing people like CM Punk in and Brian Danielson and the benefits they have brought and and using them. The booking stuff is the rest of the answer, basically. Good booking stuff is the remainder of the answer. But ultimately, if they were to do it, I have every confidence that if they were to announce the stadium show in, say, uh, yeah, Los Angeles or or London or Toronto, 35,000-seater stadium, I have the complete confidence that they would sell that out right now. Penultimate question, uh, Murray. I'm, I'm sick of butchering people's names and feeling like an ignorant idiot. How do I, how do I pronounce that to a thing? Cillian? Killian, I think. Killian? Yeah. This one's from... Like Killian Sheridan, the football player. Yep, I think that's you. <laughs> Who should have the next Iron Man match in AEW? My picks would be the blow-off to Deeb and Sheeta. 30 minutes, maybe, but going an hour is so difficult. Yeah. Like, it's so goddamn difficult. Um, I've seen, like, several... Even peak New Japan matches where I'm thinking, guys, you've missed the peak of this. You've missed the peak of this. Um, I'm not necessarily convinced Shida's good enough to do that. Deep, I think, could have a crack I think Deep could do it, yeah. Shida, again, it's such a rare stratosphere. I'm not burying Shida by saying she can't go an hour or predicting that she couldn't, but that's, I think there's about, you think there's about 10 or five. Yeah, yeah. Literally, there's five to 10 wrestlers on the planet who should go 60 minutes for me. Um, Usually what you end up with is uh, wrestlers, it's very difficult, very difficult to wrestle for that length of time and keep it interesting. And what you usually have is wrestlers who slow things down to an unrealistic degree. You know, in things like uh, two out of three falls match, you get falls after like two minutes that would never happen in real life. It's the opposite. In an Ironman match, you get people withholding on the first pinfall for 40 when they won on TV like in eight minutes the previous week. It creates a whole massive hole in your consistency um someone i mean a few a few people who should go 60 minutes kenny omega for sure he's done it before it's great kazuchika okada by that token uh brian danielson is the most obvious one for me um i think that he is the best wrestler in the world i think that he is a particular master of making the most of every single opportunity whether it's two minutes or 200 minutes I don't want to watch anyone wrestle for 200 minutes, but you know what I'm saying. Danielson wanted to, and, you know, yeah. he had this idea of doing a two-hour match, and I think it was um, with Austin Aries as his opponent, remember oh. him? And I think he eventually got talked down to doing it for, like, 80 minutes. I've never actually watched that mm. match. I'm interested, just from a person who likes to study match structure and form and all the rest of it, to see how good it could be, but at the same time, I don't want to watch it. Yeah. I yeah. just don't want to. My idea for this... Incidentally, I haven't seen the much acclaimed um, Daniel Garcia versus Wheeler Utah match, but um, my very good friend Andy Murray is telling me to watch it. One day I will. Maintains that Wheeler Utah was excellent in this match, can go an hour, and it would kind of be this perfect story, the culmination of what he's doing with Danielson within like the next two years. They could potentially go an hour. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, that I mean, that Garcia match is really excellent. IWTV uh, 100, if you've not seen it, it's really good. Uh, and quite remarkable, really, because when you think of the wrestlers best suited to fill an hour of time, uh, it's people who've been doing it for like 20 years. It's like Omega, it's Okada, it's Danielson. Uh, Wheeler Utah has not been doing this for 20 years, and neither has Daniel Garcia. And yet, um, they showed just a level of aptitude and creativity far beyond even their cumulative experience level. It's a seriously impressive piece of work. Uh, Is it boring at any point or not? Uh, No points in this match are you going to sit there and zone out and pick up your phone. They just do so many small things to fill the down periods, little facial expressions here and there, little intricate moments of struggle and battle. Um, Just a phenomenal pro wrestling match. I'm going to have to bloody watch it at some point. Yeah, load it up, baby. Next question. It's sort of self-indulgent for me and you, but you answered the Undertaker question, so it's fine. This is from Shut Up Brandon. 
<laughs> At this point, I think the only way you can beat Jade Cargill for the TBS title is by having someone come in as a surprise to take it off her so you can say she wasn't prepared. Who would you have in that spot? For me, and goddamn it, Brandon, I agree, I know it's not your name. For me, I would love to see a returning, yes, Yuka Zakazaki shocked the world. <laughs> I want Jade Cargill versus Yuka Zakazaki to happen badly. If you just look at the sheer contrast and the size and the sort of um, personas of each wrestling performer, the idea of Jade Cargill just laughing at the challenge. Yuka Sakazaki, she's got the most endearing, almost mischievous counters when she sort of does those things on the ropes and sort of pops up. Extremely creative. Her beguiling Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill just like selling to mystification at what this smaller, like exponentially smaller character can do. Building the idea of slowly coming back and fighting harder. I just think this would be an absolutely incredible match, and I just think Yuka Sakazaki is neat. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good idea. I like this for the title change 100%. I think you can do the traditional build someone in the background, build a career rival to take it off her if you really want to, and I think that maybe you should do that at some point later in Jade's career. But the way her career has progressed, I think the shock and awe approach is definitely best. Uh I mean, there's not really a standout person you could point to at the moment and go, hey, that's the person that should be built. I guess the person she has the best chemistry with in the ring for me is probably Red Velvet. Um, but Velvet doesn't really feel like at the moment she's really going to be someone who they elevate to true contendership. So, yes, Yuka Sakazaki is, is a great shout. It's such a contrast on every single level, and styles make fights. Um that being said, I'm going to pick a name that a lot of people who are listening to this podcast probably won't have heard of. But look, I spoke about Gleeton here last week, so I don't care. Uh, Miyu Yamashita. Miyu Yamashita the, she just lost the top belt in Tokyo Joshi Pro in an excellent match. With, with whom AEW have partnered, so this is not exactly. out of the realms of possibility. That's where this comes from. Um, she lost it to Shoko Nakajima, who you might remember from Fight for the Fall in 2019. She's the one who is the big kaiju, and it's like funny because she's like five foot or something but she's got like the animal furs and stuff on her entrance gear in a, just a, a tremendous match she had a great match with Mizuki who is uh, uh, Yuka Sakazaki's tag team partner in Tokyo Joshi Pro earlier this year as well um, demeanor wise she she's a killer she's a stone cold head kicking badass the kind of person who Jade can overlook in a completely different way she can say, who's this person coming over from the, this promotion we're partnered with? And and you know what's even better about Yamashita is that her background is karate. And we already have the all-time immortal line, nobody cares about that karate from Jade from the backstage segment a few weeks ago. Oh, well, here's <laughs> here's someone with a legit martial arts background who is going to kick your head off. Um, I think it would be a really good way if you want to do the Jade babyface turn, maybe she's been humbled by this just really stiff kicking badass uh, and go down that route because Jade's babyface run eventually is going to be so awesome. Uh, and it would be a very convincing way to pull a title change. I'm not saying it should happen tomorrow or anything like that. You might need to build Miu up a little bit, introduce her to the audience instead of having her come in cold or whatever. But with the partnership with Tokyo Joshi Pro, which is part of the DDT arrangement, I think it would be great. And uh, I'm really looking forward to some of the possibilities that this partnership opens up. Indeed, indeed. As am I, I'd love to see Yuka Zakazaki on my screens again. Um, just hear that entrance theme. Ay, 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 ay. Over and over. She's <laughs> just, so en- just so enchanting. She's really like so enchanting. Top five baby face in the world. It's absolutely incredible. Really would love to see her back on screens. Um, if you agree, 
you can let us know on um, Twitter underneath the link to this podcast um, at what culture WWE whilst you're there um, you can also follow Andy Murray at find me at Andy H Murray the H stands for Hayabusa there you go he rules he does coolest Best. probably the coolest look in all of pro wrestling history Best entrance theme ever as well what tremendous uh, if you're unfamiliar with his work go and check it out right now uh, you can follow me on Twitter at mcidrick once again thanks for joining us we love recording these again we love sort of the interaction um, with our followers hence why we sort of do this every now and then on an ad hoc basis so thanks very much for your listen um, coming up later today there is nothing we've done three podcasts so I think that's quite enough um, <laughs> check back tomorrow for our AEW Dynamite um, review and presumably something else but we don't know what it is yet um but whatever it is i'm sure it'll be i'll read um so again subscribe to what culture wrestling on itunes and spotify or wherever um for that and until then we will see you soon hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.